Father, thank you for this Sunday morning. Thank you for the chance that we have to gather today. And some of us, I know, God, are thriving and that, uh, that we are just experiencing joy in our lives. And, and we just say thank you for that because we know that you are the giver of all good things. And God, we want to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and say thank you for this season. And Lord, we also know that there are those who are feeling uh, various sense of heaviness. Maybe it's even a crushing heaviness this morning to come in today. Uh, maybe to barely make it into a seat here. Maybe to sing these words and, and wonder if we really believe them. Maybe to wonder how things are going to be different tomorrow. And God, for those of us uh, with this crushing sense of heaviness, we pray that you would meet us in a very powerful way. God, remind us about your love. Remind us that you uh, are faithful and that you walk with us in all seasons. And so, God, I pray for, for us who feel this today and for even others who are feeling just the minutia of life and living. Um, God, we want to say thank you for breath. Thank you that we uh, have a chance and opportunity to live in this world now that we're not just going through motions, but that there is something else and greater at work, and that is your kingdom. So God, give us a greater sense of your kingdom today and how we fit into all of this. We love you, Jesus. Amen. And we pray for the screamer, that you would help them as well. Don't worry, folks. It happens on a regular basis here. It's, it's great. Um, well, I want to introduce you to someone, um, maybe if you've heard me speak a little bit before, you know I, I just love people's lives, I love biographies, I love hearing about people and how they relate into uh, messages. Um, so I want to introduce you to someone today, I think we all know him, um, but it's a gentleman who was born on November 7th, uh, the best month in the world to be, uh, have a birthday in, by the way, is November. November 7th, 1918, William Franklin Graham Jr. was born in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now. The Grahams were a very modest dairy farming family with a very modest lifestyle. And William, uh, the second youngest, soon affectionately known in his family by Billy, uh, shared a room with two other siblings. And getting up at 3 a.m. every day was normal for them to go and start milking the cows. Well, as he started to grow up and, and became a young teenager, uh, life was very much the same in his very modest, very happy home. But he says that, it's, uh, that Billy recalls the day that his life changed forever. One day through Charlotte, North Carolina, there was a two-week stint. This traveling preacher came in to town by the name of Mordecai Ham. And he started preaching very simple message that you are broken and that you need Jesus. He didn't have these long, eloquent messages. It was very simple. But for two straight weeks, he did this. Well, for one whole week, the Grahams didn't bother going to these for one reason or another. But out of uh, encouragement by one of uh, Billy Graham's dad's employees, they decided to go one night. And for Billy Graham, he says in his own words, he describes the event. He says, I went to this out of curiosity, but I was quickly transfixed by his words, the words of the preacher man. And in the middle of the message, he looked right at me and said, young man, you are a sinner. That's not intimidating at all, right? I'm sure for this young teenager to hear these words. Billy Graham says, he said, soon that night, before I left for home, I made a confession of faith. I believed him, and I knew I needed to change. Well, soon after, uh, 
few years later, Billy Graham uh, graduated. He went to Bible college. He became a pastor at a church for a year, got married, and then he joined a then brand new ministry called Youth for Christ. It was just beginning in a lot of uh, cities in the U.S., and he, be, he started with them becoming an itinerant preacher, following the, the path of, the, of Mordecai Ham, wanting to share a bold message, again, that people were sinners and they needed Jesus in their lives. And so he decided to hold his first revival of his own in Los Angeles in 1950. No small city by then, but it drew thousands of people including Hollywood celebrities and even well-known gangsters. <laughs> I really found that interesting. Like, celebrities, that's cool, but gangsters wanted to go and check out Billy Graham's crusade. Like, it was really, really cool. Probably some of them gave their lives to Jesus and hopefully changed. But this set in motion a career of over 48 years of preaching the good news, the simple message of people needing Jesus in their lives. By modest estimates, Billy Graham preached in his time to over 215 million people in person. That's not including anyone uh, over the radio airwaves or on TV. Um, 215 million people in person in over 185 countries. Countless people gave their lives to Jesus and changed the trajectory of their lives forever. And near the end of his days, Billy Graham upon reflecting upon his ministry and still reflecting on that time with Mordecai Ham and the life change that took place. He said he was humbled by how the Lord called him. He knew this sense of calling. And he said he even openly questioned why God would use a simple farm boy from North Carolina to share his word and to share his good news with so many people. It compels me to hear that. That one man who decided to say, yes, he wants to follow God's call, had such a profound impact for the kingdom of God. Sometimes I think, don't we wonder, just, just like we step back and we just wonder, how do we fit into this idea that God's kingdom is growing on earth? We just went through a series called The Kingdom, um, and we talked about that. Now we're back into the book of Luke, but the book of Luke and the kingdom just kind of go hand in hand so much that it's really, you know, not, it's kind of blurring the lines of both of these. But in regards to the kingdom, it says that there's this prophecy about Jesus that, that the boy Jesus is going to be born and that through him the kingdom will never end. And we hear about the, the kingdom of God growing today and it's alive today and well today, but we wonder, how do we fit into this personally? Sometimes I wonder for myself, I'm just this little speck on this little planet floating through the galaxy we're not really floating. I guess we are on a course. But still, I wonder, who am I? Or the fact that I look at the world around us and I just feel like it's just such a broken world. Whether it's globally, nationally, locally, whatever the case may be, it just feels so broken that I just go, God, is your kingdom still at work? Even in our post-Christian culture, it feels like Christianity was kind of a thing that people were interested in before, but are they still? God, is your kingdom still growing? Or even with all of this too, sometimes I look at my own life and my own schedule and my own self-interest and I have to admit to myself, I'm barely getting by myself sometimes at the end of the day. Never mind seeing me be a part of this expanding kingdom of God. And if I am some small part in that, I am certainly no Billy Graham. Billy Graham is Billy Graham. Billy, the, the kingdom of God grows through people like that. 
But how does it grow through people like me? I love the truth today, and I hope this is encouraging to all of us as we look into Luke chapter 10, is that we are a part of an unbroken chain of believers from the time of Christ until the very end of the age in being a part of the kingdom growing. And so last week, Scott looked at the first part of Luke chapter 10. Jesus gathers 72 people, as he called them, beautifully anonymous people. We don't know their names, we don't know their occupations, we don't know their pedigrees, but God calls 72 people together. And then he sends them out, two by two, into the cities and the towns to proclaim the kingdom of God. Well, sometimes in scripture we hear about the going out, but we don't always hear about what happens when they come back. But in Luke chapter 10, we're looking at verses 17 to 24, and we're actually told what takes place when these 72 people come back and they start talking with each other and with Jesus. It's like they've gone on a, like a missions trip and now they're having a debrief time back at headquarters and we get to hear a little glimpse of what took place. Listen to verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He, being Jesus, replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, his power has gone out. He has no authority. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those whom the the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. The kingdom of God is at work today. Little fun fact for you today. I don't know um, how many of you know this or like think about our universe, um, all of the things that take place beyond planet Earth. But it was a few decades ago that scientists understood a revelation and that our universe isn't stagnant and it's not just a bunch of floating stars and planets uh, in this Milky Way galaxy, part of other galaxies, and it's all there, but rather it is expanding. In other words, it's kind of like just as a hand opens up, um, my fingers move further away from each other, our world, or sorry, not our particular world, Earth isn't expanding, we're not distancing from from each other, but the planet's and the solar systems are all moving apart from each other. It's interesting. They, they found this out. Um, all of this is getting further apart, and it's happening, they thought, at a speed of 67 uh, kilometers a second. Think about that for a minute. Think about how fast you drive down the highway. But this, this, the planets, the stars, everything is kind of distancing itself from one another by at a speed of 67 kilometers per second. Well, 
The Hubble telescope was launched last year. They're taking some amazing pictures of space and looking into the past and all these kinds of crazy things. But they said it's actually happening faster than what we originally thought. It's actually happening at 73 kilometers per second. Now, how they measure this and how they found the difference, uh, I don't know. But they did, give, they did say that 73 kilometers per second, give or take one. And I really appreciate their uh, appreci you know, appreciates for fine details like this because I was concerned if it's 72 or 74. But the fact that they give us margin for error on that is really good to know. But again, our universe is growing apart from itself and there's nothing we can do about that. There is no, like, you know, to think about us as humans being able to slow this down, it's kind of funny because the universe is so big and not only is the Milky Way galaxy so small, but we are so small on a planet that is floating around through there around the sun that it's kind of actually humorous to think that we would have any sort of impact on this at all. You see, whether we see it or not, the kingdom of God is at work. And it's at work kind of like the, the universe is expanding. The kingdom of God is expanding as well. And we can do nothing to stop it. We can think that we can do something to stop it or slow it down. Uh, we can ignore God. We can, you know, just turn our back on him. But whether we know it or like it or not or want to or not, the kingdom of God is always expanding. Jesus came into the world and with that he ushered in the kingdom and he is ushering in the kingdom present tense and future tense until all will be made right one day. Despite what we see in our world today, despite the brokenness, despite the egocentrism and the selfishness and all of the things of this world, we know that the kingdom of God is ever-growing. And it's through people who desire to be apprentices to Jesus. So yes, it's through people like Billy Graham, but the good news is this, it's also through people like us. And here I wanted to talk about three ways, because this is a very good pastoral thing to do. Uh, three ways that we see the kingdom of God growing through people today. And you're going to see my pattern here in just a moment, because I'm a math um, lover. I love the way that math works, and so I thought about three descriptions about this today that just fits. So the kingdom of God grows through people, through multiplication, in other words, growth, through addition, in other words, dependency, and subtraction. I left out division because I'm not a huge division fan. I just didn't, don't like it. So I don't have to put it in my sermon. It's fine. But we have multiplication, we have addition, and we have subtraction. So let's take a look at these three and how these three functions work in the expanding, the ever-growing kingdom of God. Number one, multiplication. In other words, it's happening through growth. Listen to these verses, 17 and to 19. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Understand this. In Luke 10, 17, um, Jesus, the 72 come back, but it's not an isolated incident. Jesus sending out the 72 is not just another random thing that is taking place, but it's actually part of a larger plan that Jesus has for our world. Let me back up, and I want us to see the progression that takes place. All right, we're going to go all the way back to when Jesus was born. In the book of Luke, we're told Jesus is born, okay? Then, years later, Jesus is baptized, and there's this beautiful scene in Scripture where the heavens open, and Jesus says, this is my son whom I love, I'm well pleased. 
But then we're told Jesus goes off into the desert to be confronted and tempted by Satan three different times. And we can read about that in the book of Luke. But what happens is Jesus resists him all three times, and he comes back, and we're told, this is very important, we're told that he comes back in uh, the fullness of spirit. In other words, the spirit is in him, and he's anointed him for his ministry on earth. He's born, he's baptized, he resists the temptations from Satan, and now he's full of the Spirit. The next thing he does is he comes into a Jewish synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And he sits down. And amongst all of these rabbis and these really smart people, he opens up this scroll, because they didn't have Bibles then, he opens up this scroll of Isaiah, and he reads from uh, generations and generations ago these words from this prophet Isaiah, who said someone is coming to declare this year of jubilee when all will be made free, will be made right, debts will be wiped out, and people will be healed. Jesus reads this, and he says, today this is fulfilled in your presence. And immediately he goes out, alone, one person, and immediately begins to bring the kingdom of God to people through healing, through teaching, through driving out spirits, and more. Jesus goes out alone, one person. And then Jesus calls people to himself. And in this ministry, he calls three of his disciples to him, in one particular instance in Luke chapter 8. Jesus goes into the home and the room of a dead girl. The family know that she's been dead for a while, and they say, Jesus, you're wasting your time. What are you doing going in there? But Jesus goes in, but he doesn't go in alone. He goes in with three of his closer disciples, Peter, James, and John. And now with the four of them present, Jesus raises this girl to life. People are seeing close up that Jesus is bringing the year of Jubilee to people. Shortly after this, Jesus has gone now from one to his group of three to the 12, and Jesus sends out the 12 essentially on another short-term missions trip to do what? The exact same things he was doing as one. In Luke 9, it says this, it says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out the demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So no longer is it Jesus the one but now it's the 12 who are now going out to do the very same things that Jesus was doing by himself. And now in the next chapter, we see that Jesus sends out the 72. To do what? We just read this, to do the very same things that the 12 did, that Jesus did alone. Do you see the plan of multiplication that Jesus is putting in here? See, Jesus sits with the prophets Sits, sorry, he sits with um, the rabbis about the prophet Isaiah, and he says, this is the year of Jubilee. But Jesus knows, he says, I can't do this forever by myself. There will be a time when I die. He knows this. And so his succession plan is to, is to allow people to go out in his name and his authority to declare the year of Jubilee. So there wasn't any leadership books that Jesus read or seminars that Jesus went to in, in his day. But every leadership book would tell you that this strategy is brilliant. It grows through people who declare the year of Jubilee to the world around them. Multiplication is a kingdom value. 
And to be honest, multiplication is something that we're trying to do more and more here at Yorkson. And it's not just to um, get more people busy in their schedules. I promise you this. It is to share the ministry of the work of the kingdom of God together. See, the way of Jesus is to share ministry so that we are all kingdom-minded people and that we are all kingdom-bearers of God. For example, as much as I like all of you, I honestly really do. I'm not just saying that up here, but I honestly really do. Um, There's been studies done, especially by a guy, he's a psychologist named uh, Robin Dunbar, and he came up with a study that says that any person can have a maximum of 150 friendships in their life. It's kind of like a Lego pieces. You know, if you think of one big Lego piece with 150 um, little knobs on it, once those are full, you cannot add one without taking one away. So even though you might have like 15 million friends on Facebook, you don't really have 15 million friends. Let me just tell you that right now. You have about 150 because once you start adding more, some others have to fall off of that. But given that, he says in the same study that you can actually only have five very close friendships. So you can have 150 people that you, that you know and have a, a certain level of friendship with, but there's only five people that you can actually really know and have life sharing with. So the reason now I go back and say that I like you all a lot, which of course I do, it is actually impossible for me to have a life-on-life, really close relationship with everyone here. And that pains me a little bit because I really like people and I really like being involved in people's lives and I really love caring and I really love uh, sharing God's word with people. But the point isn't for me to do all of the things. And see, this is part of the beauty of what we call life groups or apprentice groups or getting people together to share life together is that I can't do it all myself Um, no pastor on staff, no one person, if I pick out Gareth or Chris or Steve or anyone, I can't uh, ask them to to take care of everybody because it's just physically impossible. But if once we start getting to groups and go, I can't share my life with everybody, but I can share it with a few other people here, suddenly the kingdom of God starts to grow well because it's being multiplied. And it's amazing. We don't have a ton of life groups here right now. But our plan is, and our vision is, is come fall, we're going to have a strategy in place and an on-ramp for a lot of us to join into a place where we can have life on life together. Whether it be uh, if you're single, uh, whether you're married, or married with kids, uh, kids are out of the house, whatever stage of life you're in, we're going to find a way that we can enjoy and process life and faith together in a very real way. Um, so wait for that for fall, and please start to get ready for that because it's coming. It's coming. Um, You see, Tiana, another example of multiplication, Tiana is our worship director, but Tiana isn't the one and only one in the morning who comes in and sets up all the sound. She's not the one who organizes all the music by herself and plays by herself and then puts it all away and goes home. Tiana has a team around her. She multiplies herself around her so that we can better enter into the presence of God through worship together. We share the ministry Christy was just up here talking about the sharing of the load, sharing of the ministry in teaching and being with our beautiful children. Christy can't possibly disciple all 60 kids we have here at Yorkson. Uh, She can't go to 60 homes. She can't teach 60 people weekly. But a team of people here on Sundays who have a desire to share the kingdom with little young people can do so. 
multiplication is a kingdom value. All right, we've done multiplication. Let's go to addition. This is dependency. Listen to this verse in chapter 20. It says, Jesus has just said, like, this is great that you guys have gone out in my name. But he says in verse 20, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, the 72 come home and they're excited. And I imagine they're starting to high five each other and they start to share stories. Guess what? I got to heal this person's uh, limp leg, whatever took place there. And someone's like, oh yeah, that, that's really cool. But you know what we do in stories, right? It's the one up. Uh, we listen, but then we also want to share, oh yeah, but. And someone's like, oh yeah, but this person was blind and they told me they were blind since birth and I had a chance to pray for them and they were healed. And someone's like, oh yeah, but get this, someone had a demonic spirit I had the authority. Like, I know this is from Jesus, but I had the authority to heal them and send it out in Jesus' name. And while they're excited, I imagine if there was a sense of perhaps one-upping each other in this. And Jesus, Jesus, we went out with so much authority that even demons submitted to us. I have a sense and a feeling that there's an arrogance of the 72 that started to embed itself into them. I don't know if the 72 are so far away from us, to be honest, as we might very well um, have come back with the same thought. If all these things took place, I wonder if there's a sense for me just going like, I'm actually like pretty cool in the kingdom of God here. I can do stuff. I'm smart. I'm good looking. I'm persuasive. I think the kingdom of God is lucky to have someone like me. See, for many of us, I think we crave attention. We crave purpose. We crave recognition, not only in each other's sight, but also God's. God, look what I've done for you, and look how much I've sacrificed for you. Pride seeps in. And the problem with this is that it moves us away from actually depending on the Spirit. When my kids were younger, uh, there was two places in Langley they loved to go all the time. Home Depot and Save-On. Do you know Why? The carts, exactly. They've got great kids' carts that are there, and they always love getting in them. And the fun thing is, is for years, we, um, we used to play the fact that they were actually driving the cart, and that I would steer, and that they would actually think that they were the ones. So I'm like going along, I'm like, guys, we're going to hit something, we're going to hit a shelf, turn! And then they reef the wheel over, and I turn, and they're like, oh, thank you guys, thank you so much. And then we go along, and I'm like, guys, get the brakes, get the brakes, because we're going to... And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, we stopped. They're like, I didn't even do anything with my feet, Dad. That was really cool. But there was a time when they thought they were the ones in control doing it all. It doesn't actually work so well anymore. I think that they're on to me with this. But I think that there's a sense here where we can think that we are the ones doing it. Meanwhile, God, our Heavenly Father, the one who put into motion the very creation of the universe, is here going, you know what? It's kind of cute maybe that you think you're the ones doing this but it's all under my own power and it's all because of me that you're, you're seeing people come to know me. Jesus says to them, you shouldn't rejoice at your authority that you have, but rather that, they, that you're known by me and I'm the one who has given you life and breath to breathe. Number three, not only do we have multiplication through growth and addition through dependency on Jesus, but number, sorry, number three is subtraction. In other words, humility. 
At that time, verse 21, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. We actually don't read a lot of times in the Gospels that Jesus rejoiced. We read that, yes, Jesus, you know, I'm sure had a great time with his disciples, and there was times when they had, lots of times they had fun, but we're told here, it says, at that time, Jesus, full of the joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father. What is Jesus so excited about? That people are understanding the gospel message. That the year of Jubilee is actually taking place in the lives of people. That God's kingdom is actually growing. It's growing not because of the, of the wise and the rich and the powerful in Jesus' day. And in fact, in the Gospels, it's the rich and the powerful who are the ones who confront Jesus the most. But rather the marginal, the weak, the tax collectors, and the people who had so little to stand on are the ones who understood their brokenness, their sin, and want to come to know Jesus. There is a great humility that is needed for the kingdom of God to grow not only that we cannot do it ourselves, but on the receiving end that someone needs to understand, I don't have it in me to save myself. One of my very favorite stories in the whole world is the story of Les Mis. And author Victor Hugo describes a, a turning point for the main character, Jean Valjean. It is my dream, by the way, one day to sing in Les Mis, a Broadway musical, to tour across Canada. I think at my age, it's still possible, Jean Valjean's a little bit of an older guy, so this could take place. So if you don't see me for a couple months, it's just because I'm on tour, all right? Um, I'm applying, they're not responding to me yet, but this is what I want to do one day and pastor here still, so I'm not ditching anybody. But for Jean Valjean, he is a criminal. If you've seen the play or the musical or the movie, uh, he is convicted unjustly but as Stephen still, he's labeled a criminal. His heart becomes cold, and he's hardened to the world around him. But as Victor Hugo writes, he says, just as cruelty can turn a good man bad, kindness can turn a bad man good. After meeting Bishop Muriel, Jean Valjean collapses on the side of a road and sobs over the kindness that he's been shown. It's a great humility in Jean Valjean here. And, he, uh, and as he wept, a new day dawned in his spirit, a day both wonderful and terrible. He was made aware of his sin and also the need for God's grace in our lives. The kingdom of God grows as people understand their own humility and their need for Jesus in their lives. In the Alpha series, they point out this quote by Jim Carrey, actor Jim Carrey, who says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. I love that. There's a great sense of humility that needs to take place for someone to receive the kingdom of God. And maybe you might be here today going, I think I've got it all more or less together and Jesus is more of an add-on to my good life. But Jesus says in his Gospels the very message that Billy Graham spent out for almost 50 years, the very simple and direct message that we are sinners and that we are in need of the grace of God. And after all of this, I love this. He turns to his disciples and says privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. 
For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. In other words, do you guys have any idea how many people have come before you and have longed for the day for the kingdom to be in flesh and blood? It's here and you're living in the day. So many people wanted to see this and you are living it. So live it well. Live it in dependence on me. Live it in humility. And as you do, you will see the kingdom of God grow like never before. And it's something that cannot be stopped. I want to end off with a story of James. Uh, James is a young man I met in Ireland uh, about 15 years ago when I had the privilege of going. Um, We went with Drime, which is a ministry of power to change, and so we would set up in different places in Ireland and do dramas, and then we would go out and talk to people about Jesus. It was a really simple formula. Well, as we did it one day, I remember seeing three guys come over, three young guys, Uh, They all had beers in their hands, and we're doing this about 10 in the morning. I was like, wow, starting early, okay. Um, And as we finished doing a set of dramas, I went over and talked to them. And two of them seemed completely disinterested. They seemed way more interested in the beer they were drinking than anything we were doing. But one man, one young man, James, started asking questions. Where did you guys come from? Why are you here? What are these dramas all about? And as we started talking about these things, we started talking about spiritual things. Every 15 minutes or so, one of his friends would leave and come back with uh, another three cans of beer. I was like, okay, like, wow, the party must not have finished from the night before, I guess. I don't know. But James seemed less interested in them and more interested and more interested in what I was talking about. And it was interesting because the next day, we talked for a while, we said goodbye. The next day, we came back, and he came back by himself this time. And after we talked for another half an hour or so, he understood the gospel message He understood that he was a sinner and he understood that he needed God's grace. And right then and there, he received Christ. And it was amazing to see this and to think that I could be part of this unbroken chain of believers who are seeing the kingdom of God grow until the day when all is right. It was such a privilege for me. And so we never went out without a church kind of going with us so that we could plug people in. And sure enough, uh, one of the people from the church met James, and, and from there, we went home a couple days later, and I never really heard from James much at that point. There wasn't email or Zoom or anything like that. Um, 15 years ago, was there? I don't know what there was then. I think we sent pigeons across the ocean. I don't know. Um, but all I know is I lost touch with James. But the beautiful thing is, is we went back net the next year, and we went to other places in Ireland. But I said, I need to go see James. I need to go to the same town and go to the same church. And so as we got there, I got a hold of the church, and I said, is James, I can't remember his last name, is he still here? He said, oh, James, of course he is. He's one of our Sunday school teachers. And I had the privilege of going to the church, um, going to see James in action with all of his little ones around him, and they were all, like, loving him. And uh, then we went up for coffee, and we just talked about the last year and what has gone on. And it wasn't like all the stuff was all up and up and that, since he'd found Jesus' life was perfect. Not at all. He still had lots of problems. But he says, I know that Jesus is with me. And to see him you now affecting the kingdom and the growth in a beautiful way was amazing and so inspiring for me to see. And so again, we might wonder, what place do we have in this growing kingdom of God? Maybe we sit here and we go, I am not a Billy Graham. I love Billy Graham's faithfulness to go and how God blessed him 
But I love how God blesses us as we decide to go, as we decide to say yes to the growth of God's kingdom and to be a part of this because he is faithful and moving. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this truth that whether we see it or not, that the kingdom is growing, that your kingdom on earth is ever growing until the day you come back and all will be made right. And thank you, Father, that you call us not to just observe, but to participate in the kingdom growing. We love you, King Jesus. Renew us in our day that you are doing an incredible work and give us eyes to see how we can be involved in this, even in small, small ways. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.